0: This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everyone and welcome to a special edition of the Blood Red podcast with myself, Sean Bradbury. Very pleased also to say that we've done some business, a bit of wheeling and dealing and made a significant signing from elsewhere in our newsroom. Now, I'm sure many listeners here and readers of the Echo will be familiar with Liam Thorpe, but as well as being the Thursday night out-and-out goal scorer in the Echo's 5 side football, he is also our political editor. Uh, Liam, Liam Thorpe, is with us today. Thorpe, how are you getting on?
1: Lockdown, I'm, treating you OK? Well, I'm v- very pleased to be here. I've just been practising some of my uh, left foot volleys with some <laughs> uh, balloons in my house, just because, uh, you, you know, you, you don't want to lose that sharpness for from, uh, from, from Thursday night football whenever it eventually does come back. Oh, absolutely. Sam Carroll, will be very pleased. You've been, you've been keeping yourself in shape for it. Good man. Sa- Sam Carroll, who, he's mocked my fitness on a number of occasions, but he still maintains that I've scored the best ever goal at Echo, Echo side. No, that, that's, that's what it's all about, isn't it, at the end of the day? <laughs> it is, when, you're, uh, when, when you were once described as a, uh, a sort of uh, Jeff Horsfield mixed with Dimitar Berbatov character.
0: <laughs> I think that just about sums you up, yeah, but like you say, you know, the goals go in, so you absolutely cannot complain. Exactly. Um, so, yes, this is, this is us today, and um, what we're going to discuss, really, the um, reason why this is a kind of special edition, and, we, and we've got Liam on, is... But a look back at Liverpool versus Atletico Madrid in the Champions League last month. feels strange to say that was that was last month. It feels like, you know, so long ago now. But um, as yeah. we're recording this podcast, I think it's been seven weeks since the game. And obviously plenty changed in that time with, with the spread of coronavirus and the ongoing fight against COVID-19 across the world. So, yeah, just 49 days ago, 52,000 people went to Anfield on the evening of Wednesday, the 11th of March, to watch this match. Um, I think on that same afternoon, the, the World Health Organization declared coronavirus to be a pandemic. So looking back on it now, I mean, this this Liverpool fixture almost stands alone. I think it was the last major football match that have been played in England with supporters in attendance. Um, There were Premier League games at the beginning of the week and on on the previous weekend. Uh, And obviously this has been widely covered, but there was other sporting events with large crowds uh, in that week, including the Cheltenham Festival with, I think, more than a quarter of a million horse racing fans across several days. But then a couple of days after, Liverpool versus Atletico, all football was suspended in the UK. That came on March the 13th uh, due to the spread of the virus. Then over the next 10 days or so, the government measures gradually began to be cranked up. First, of course, we had the advice that non-essential travel should be avoided. Then there was guidance for anyone showing symptoms of the disease to self-isolate. Soon after, more significant measures, closure of pubs, restaurants, schools, and then I think about 23rd of March it was was the ordering of the lockdown that we defined ourselves in now. So returning to our specific subject, this game Liverpool versus Atletico has, has taken on a particular focus uh, in terms of the potential impact, and we must stress that uh, it's just a potential thing that it may have had on the spread of coronavirus. Um, and it must be said, not only was this a major gathering of people, um, the type of which clearly isn't happening at the moment, but around 3000 fans also came over from Spain to the game and and we'll, we'll touch on this as as we go on but Madrid itself at the time was on partial lockdown with a significant number of of coronavirus cases as i say it's it's important to say no one knows for sure that there's this any confirmed link between this game and cases of the virus but um, the, last week the Liverpool council announced an investigation had been launched to look into the match and whether that link could actually be the case and now this is a story that Liam, in, in his position as political editor here at The Echo, has followed very closely and, and led our coverage on. So what we really want to do on this pod is get Liam to talk us through the stages of his coverage, unpack the questions that were being asked before the game and then everything that's happened since. So we'll do that pretty much chronologically. But before we start, I think, Liam, it's, there's a couple of things we probably just need to address. First of all... It's a kind of issue of, of of why these questions are being asked. Can you just kind of set the scene for us? What what's the current picture in Liverpool and Merseyside in terms of coronavirus, and how does it compare to elsewhere in the UK? It's, yeah, so it's it's not good.
1: Um, in fact, just af- at the time of recording, uh, we have just had the the latest daily updates from the NHS, and um, it's taken our number of deaths in and uh, I must say it's it's Merseyside and the surrounding areas because some of the hospital trusts that we have cover areas that kind of straddle the boundary like Halton and Warrington and Southport and Armskirk. But in, in, in our core kind of coverage areas, it, there's been 821 deaths in hospitals now um, and and a, a massive majority of those are in, in Liverpool, which I think you would expect more because it's a, it's a big city and it, we've got the main, you know, uh, university hospital trust there. Um, but it is disproportionate. Um, I did a big piece at the weekend with the public health team in Liverpool, which shows that it is significantly disproportionate the impact on liverpool and merseyside compared to the national average um and and what is also significant is that people who are getting ill here are unfortunately not recovering um in mm. at more of a rate than across the country so that the some around um the, the death rate at liverpool's main trust in terms of people going in who then with with coronavirus who then went on to die was 22% compared to an average across the UK of around thirteen percent so that's that there's other factors at play there and and what my piece at the weekend looked into was sort of historic health issues and things like that but in terms of the 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 number of people getting the the, the virus it, you know we've had more confirmed cases than say Manchester which is a a bigger city um, it's a similar size city but it's but it's bigger um and and we've had and are we've had more than other other major cities so Yeah. So the the picture is bad. And and as I say, we can officially say that we have been disproportionately hit by the virus than the average across the
0: country. Mm -hmm. I think that the second point to kind of raise before we start, I've seen a few suggestions and I know that you have in terms of the interactions you've had, particularly on social media, that now, while we're still in the midst of the crisis, isn't perhaps the time to be questioning the government and, you know, assessing the handling of it and highlighting certain concerns. And and there's some suggestions from some quarters that coverage in the media should judge the national move, if you like, and and be supportive, perhaps rather than constructively critical in a time of crisis. How how would you respond to that in in a general sense? Yeah, I, I, I think I just
1: saw Alan Sugar sharing something on Twitter saying that, Uh, some sort of statement that's doing the rounds not attributed to anyone saying that we should be we should be backing the government in everything that they do well whoever thinks that is fundamentally misunderstanding the role of the journalist that is just that is absolute that's that's propaganda that is not journalism public interest journalism is asking questions holding to account making sure that those in positions of power are are giving the full information they can doing the right thing Um, uncovering uncovering mistakes where you think they're being made and and posing those questions. So as as you say, when I asked the question about this at the the Downing Street press conference, which I'm sure we'll we'll talk about, um, whilst the response was overwhelmingly good, there was a lot of people saying, yeah, we've been waiting for someone to ask these kind of questions. Um, There were quite a few people saying, why are you bringing this up now? It's not helpful. And I mm. think, well, to be honest, I'm not, I'm, we're not here to be helpful to government. We're not, we're not necessarily here to be, you know, completely unhelpful. But the, the, we're here to try and get answers to questions. Questions that I know, because I've heard, a lot of people want to hear answers to. So I, I think it is, per, is absolutely imperative to ask these questions now as we go along, because they actually inform things that continue uh, uh, in terms of the process. So, for example, the PPE issue in hospitals. If nobody was raising that, then then, then, you know, the government might just have continued on its path as things were happening. As it is, there's been some great reporting on the PPE issue and the lack of it and the problems facing frontline workers. Loads of frontline workers have been brave enough to speak out in the media. You know, Mm -hmm. how would that work if we were only allowed to be entirely supportive of the government? What would we just ignore doctors and nurses who say they've not got enough protective equipment there's an incredibly important role for journalism to play in a crisis like this and and we'll continue to do it obviously what what I'm talking about is is a quite a local issue but there's a hell of a lot of people who could potentially be affected by a decision that was made and and actually as we go along there could still be people who who might think you know what I I may I might be um asymptomatic I might have picked something up from someone who I went to the game with or, or was around that city at the time so th- these questions need to be
0: asked now and they need to continue to be asked as we go along. Absolutely well, well why wind the clock back then and, and first things first I suppose is to look at what was being said just ahead of the game in, in the 24 hours or so ahead of the match on, on March the 11th is it fair to say even at that stage there was already something of a, a chorus of concern do you think?
1: Yeah I think so um, so I, I, I've tried to regularly in my coverage give a bit of a shout out to uh, David Maddock, who is the Daily Mirror's northern football correspondent, because he did a great thread uh, the day before the game, I think. Um, someone had, someone else had mentioned to me something about, you know, Madrid being a bit of a hot spot, and I was starting to think about it, and then he did a thread which was basically, just kind of put it all into context. You know, this uh, just quite bizarre notion, really, that you've got 3,000 fans from Madrid who are not allowed to watch their own team play at home because yeah. of the severe, acute Outbreak in the city and the and the subsequent lockdown restric- restrictions, but yet they are allowed to travel across numerous international transport hubs uh, into Liverpool. And I think one thing that I, re- I really want to stress whenever I am talking about this game is that I actually don't think the game is the main issue. I think it's I th- because you know naturally Atletico fans will be mainly sort of segregated in um, within Anfield. You know, and wouldn't be particularly mingling, but they don't just they, you know. It's this idea that I've seen in places when I think it was the, you know, government advisers were saying, oh, it's a sports event, for example, isn't necessarily uh, that big a deal with transmission because people sit separately. Well, that's a fundamental lack of knowledge about how sporting events occur, isn't it? Because you and I know, John, that in, in Liverpool, it's, it's just as much about, you know, people coming together in pubs, in bars, ah, in really? around the streets together. And the Madrid fans were doing that as well. And, you know, um, we we saw it I think on the day we, we we will have been out taking pictures of them all around the city center hotels, bars, restaurants, as you would expect but th- that's that's probably much more of a likely scenario where something could get passed on if, if you know if it's someone working in a bar might picks it up then then they go home to their family and and we know that the rate of transmission was really high at the time, so it's it's it that's that's where we think those things could have come. Um so yeah, so so as I say, once once I'd kind of seen that thread and it kinda of helped to crystallise the issue for me, I um I spent the day just sort of trying to get some answers on it really. And uh Liverpool had put out Liverpool went on to put out a statement. Um David Maddock had suggested that the club were a bit nervous and I can understand why, because they were sort of in a difficult position really. Um mm. A lot of people saying, again, a lot of people saying on Twitter and stuff, oh, Liverpool could have just taken the decision to do this. But I think, think that's really, really difficult to make when um, a call to make when the government is specifically saying these events go ahead. UEFA, mm-hmm. who hosts the event, you know, let's not forget that UEFA is the, the host of the Champions League. They go around from game to game, all their branding at the grounds, all their kind of events team in place. And they, they again, suggested that it would just go ahead as normal. I contacted the Department for Communities and Sport and Local Government um, and I contacted UEFA and both basically kind of pushed me onto the other one and said, oh, I don't think it's our call to make. No one seemed to know. Um, and, it, and, it, and it went ahead. It was even raised in Parliament that night by um, Maria Eagle and Matt Hancock gave a very sort of, you know, half-baked response. Um, it, they just didn't seem to think it was a big issue. Uh, but I remember... Uh, John Ashton, so for those who don't know um, Professor John Ashton is from Liverpool he's a former regional director of public health so he knows a few things about this kind of area. Um, he appeared on Newsnight that night and basically brought up this issue and he said you know, I strongly suspect that uh, people will have become infected in Liverpool because of this mm-hmm. event tonight. Um, he, he he didn't go. Um, but But I don't think we can you know, we—I don't—I really don't think we can blame fans. Um, I've seen a few people saying our fans could have made their own minds up. You know, John Ashton did—he—he he was going to go and he didn't. But not everyone's a public health expert, are they? You yeah. You know, you know, did, you know our, our 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 sports writers went to that game what, because they, why wouldn't they? That that was the the strong advice at the time. But 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 that's why it's important to now I think to now look back on it, um, even at this fairly early stage, and see if. You know, if, if that was the wrong decision to make by the, by the authorities, to continue to hold them to account and, and ask them for explanations. I, I really don't understand this, this idea of, of not asking those questions, even at difficult times. In fact, especially at difficult times, is, is what I
0: think we should be asking them. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. You've mentioned the name already, Professor John Ashton. Where, where did things go kind of in the days and weeks after the game, and how did. Um, how did things like continue to build at that stage so um obviously the game went ahead, and then as you
1: as you referenced before, things kind of um escalated quite quickly um, after that because let's let's not forget that um other countries who'd been suffering large coronavirus outbreaks had had locked down extremely early. One of the main questions slash criticisms of the government, uh, which i've certainly been making, and many others have is that it happened far too slowly, um, and we didn't learn from the from the other countries like, like Italy who were desperately telling us there was, you know, articles from Italian doctors saying you need to, you need to lock down now before that rate of transmission just means that, you know, um, everyone becomes um, infected. And Mm. um, so as I referenced in the Downing Street question, Jenny Harries, who is the deputy chief medical officer, she actually said on the day of the game on the 11th, that, you know, the big, big sporting events we don't think they have a big impact on the rate of transmission well it's a, obviously they then went on to think that that they did because they quite soon after that cancelled all sporting fixtures as, as <coughs> you said um you know so it, it, when they say the science has changed I, I never really understand what what that means by that but what i think what i think it means is that they probably realize that they should have done it a bit sooner because they got some new modeling that came out from the scientific advisory group which said that if they carried on with their current path, then two hundred fifty thousand deaths would be a, a fairly likely uh, outcome. So, I, so, so, yeah, I, I I continue to believe that that they they move too slowly on that. Um, um, people like John Ashton have then kind of continued to to monitor the situation. One when, when I think um, we we kind of re- potentially really started to look at it again uh, because obviously we didn't you don't know what's going on with the sort of infection rates and things like that partially because there's been a a real lack of testing um there was a day for for quite a while um when we were getting the kind of updates on um the really sad updates on daily deaths from the nhs there was only like one death in liverpool for for quite a while and i just had this sort of uneasy feeling that it was more going to be about a lag in in reporting and we were suddenly gonna hear you know a big number come through and then we did um sort of towards the end of march um there was 21 deaths recorded in, in one update um at the royal uh at the royal trust and we kept, and then those kind of updates kind of continue to come and, and i spoke to john at the time and he said this fits really well with the the timeline of the game um for it to be a you know a contributory factor as you said before sean like we we, we just don't know and um, we have to kind of preface everything we say with the fact that we don't know that this is a, a working theory um and which public health people believe is is something you know worth looking into uh, people who know far more than than I ever will um but he said that when you look at the fact that people may have picked it up on the 11th in the city um and then what generally would be would happen is you, you have a week of being asymptomatic um starting to turn into symptoms then perhaps if you've got more serious symptoms you go into a hospital and then in the third week if people don't recover then sadly they 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 are pronounced dead and that kind of fitted really closely with the potential you know uh, surge in infections uh, around the 11th so so again we've continued to you know to monitor that and i i just thought that the best the best way to try and uh get a proper response was to get get on the Downing Street press conference and ask it myself so uh, that was that was my plan and, and that's what I did.
0: Yeah well that leads us neatly on to the to the next stage of this then which is <laughs> that very day that very briefing Monday the 20th of April you were able to put a question to the government. Um, first of all on that before we get into what you asked and what they said just out of interest what was the process there because I think this is another thing people have, have asked a lot on social media and I can totally understand this that What's the process of, of first of all you being chosen, and then how does it work with the questions?
1: So yeah, I'm, I'm pleased to re- pleased to report that, um, that the the <laughs> there are a few conspiracy theories that I can dispel here. Um, it, the government do not decide uh, who goes on um, and asks the questions. It's done via the the, the press gallery, via the journalists. Um, and the Daily Mirror political editor Piper is the is the uh, sort of in charge of the the newspaper side of things. Um and I just I just got in touch with her and said it'd be great to get on and it took a little time because there's a queues of you know, people who want to get on and, and stuff like that. But um yeah, got on eventually. But um and things you know, they, my questions were not uh, sort of pre submitted. I think you can tell that they weren't because they, they didn't <laughs> I don't think they really liked them. So um no. you can sort of you, you know, I, I, they they did um they did say if you wanted to let us know the kind of thing you were gonna ask just so we can get some more detail, but I I, I didn't let them know because I thought it'd be better to, better to uh, surprise them with it but yeah I was I was always gonna ask about the match um because it's obviously just something that's, that's a lot of people a lot of people are, are talking about and asking about in 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 our part of the world and um, so I thought now was our opportunity to
0: to put it to them absolutely well we'll talk us through what you asked then and, and what the response was so um I asked uh I basically put it to them that
1: you know, as we've just discussed, the the, the, just the the deputy CMO had said on that very day that big uh, gatherings like that weren't a, weren't a problem. Um, and then obviously I said that they quite soon changed tack after that. Talked about the three thousand fans from Madrid, um the acute outbreak at the time and the 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 surge in, in in cases and deaths in Liverpool and whether it would be whether the government would now kind of admit that it was an error. Um to, to how to hold that game um and also whether they what they thought of the this this theory really that it could have been a major contributory factor to, to Liverpool's problems. And um I was quite surprised really because we're so used to it these at these uh press conferences, just so utterly used to seeing ministers batting away questions with kind of the same sound bites time and time again. You know, we followed the science, we followed the guidance, all that kind of stuff. So I asked um, this question directly to uh, Professor Angela McLean, who is the Deputy uh, Chief Scientific Advisor. And uh, she got quite a lot of flat for the response that she gave to me, which was to say that she thought a potential link between the Madrid outbreak and Liverpool outbreak was an interesting hypothesis. I think a lot of people thought that her answer was maybe a bit, a bit sort of cold and scientific. But to be honest, it was still, for me, it was a lot better than... What you generally get from from the minister, which is, mm. you know, which actually went we went on to see because I, I came back at Rishi Sunak and asked him, you know, as the government, as the government's kind of spokesman, what he thought, and he gave me a very much more typical government response, which was, you know, we we stand by our decision, we followed the science, we followed the guidance, and all that. But what Angela McLean did was she actually kind of entertained the idea, um, which is, you know, I imagine the politicians weren't very happy about because it was pretty much on every every national back sheet uh uh back back of the papers the next day because you know um obviously it became it became a really big story. I mean it was already a big story but for them for the government to to entertain it in that way um did become a big story and and it kind of I saw it going pretty pretty mad everywhere to be honest.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely well on on the back of this then and obviously the, the kind of questions that were being asked I think late that week, I think it was on the twenty fourth, which was the Friday, there was uh, your story again in the Echo that morning, um, that an investigation had been launched by the council, obviously in, in partnership with think, the universities, isn't it, who are going to help look yeah. into things. Um, so <laughs> what, what do we know so far about this investigation? Any suggestion, what it will look like and, and when it could happen?
1: Yeah, so th- this is um, it's quite important to stress this really. There's, there's, there's different terminology gets bandied around and I saw a few people calling it an inquiry um, on Twitter. Um, but i i don't think that's i don't think that's quite right because an inquiry may well follow um <clears throat> i think i think an i think an inquiry into the government's overall handling of coronavirus will is is absolutely inevitable um this this is more um so the mayor Joe anderson um contacted me and said um you know after particularly after what the government had said um and and kind of the the growing fears and and worries around that game in 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 the city um, that, that they wanted to try and get some definitive answers, really. Um, so the, there's a, a the, uh, the council's got a new director of public health called Matt Ashton, and um, a hell of a time to be starting a job like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think he, um, he, yeah, he was quite looking forward to starting his job, and then uh, suddenly realised he was starting during a, a global pandemic. Um, but he's so Joe, Joe Anderson has tasked him with one of his first big jobs is to yeah to as you say. Get in touch with those partners um like the university the university guys have got some really good ideas about kind of modeling and working out you know who might have potentially been infected at what time and stuff but it's very very difficult because this lack of testing is 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 really crucial and it, and and you know without that without that testing data it's going to be pretty difficult to know um i don't think we'll be i probably don't think we'll get an absolutely clear cut a definite answer I'm sure they'll be speaking to to reds fans who who went the game to people who were out and about in the city on that night um i've personally been contacted by a, a handful of liverpool fans who are com- completely convinced that they picked it up around that time um so there will be there will be um, anecdotal evidence like that um so yeah i think that the idea is that they just want to have that kind of be, a, be able to back up these arguments with a bit more data and a bit more evidence um and then and then, and then we'll see where we go from there. um It may be that that is then handed over to you know passed on to to governments to or sort of um to add weight to to the the, the calls for a, a more major inquiry really um but I think knowledge is power in these circumstances so it's it's always better to, to try and have more knowledge and more data where possible
0: mm, absolutely and then just just lastly, then to touch on the, the most recent thing you've written surrounding the game. there was a piece that get went up at the weekend, which was kind of looking at the, the various institutions and bodies who'd potentially been involved in it um, and, you know, could or should the des- a decision be made not to play it. And I think in that, you, you eventually got a response from UEFA, didn't you? Obviously, you asked them on the day of the game and, uh, and it, it, like you said before, it was battered between UEFA and the government. But but what, what did they say in this statement? Well, they were suddenly a lot more
1: um, proactive in responding to me, um, I noticed, and I wondered if that might be something to do with the the kind of... Widespread coverage about the game, and that they wanted to kind of set their st- their stall out. Because, as I say, when I tried to contact them on the day of the game, it was there was no response forthcoming at all. It, it, which kind of just played into this idea I had that people weren't necessarily taking it too seriously as an issue at the time. Um, but this time around, it didn't take them very long to get back to me at all, and uh, they were they were pretty much just um, pointing the finger straight back at the government, really, just saying that they they you know work very closely with the sort of national authorities in, in the countries that, that they operate in and they follow the sort of rules and, and laws set out by those governments at that time. They even went on to quote Rishi Sunak in their response back to me. Um, so it's about as clear-cut as clear cut as it gets that they are laying the responsibility at the door of the UK government. I, I've always thought that myself, to be honest, um, when it came down to it, because if if you've got Boris Johnson and the deputy... Chief Medical Officer in conversation on the day of the game, saying this is why big sporting events should still be going ahead. Then they're making it pretty clear that it is within their grasp to to allow or disallow those events to go ahead. I think that you know it's the law of the land. Yes, leagues and um, you know governing bodies have a have a say in it and work in tandem with them, but I think it it, it would ultimately be for the government of that country to make a decision about these games going ahead. Um I also explored in that story, um, you know, we heard from Liverpool FC, heard from Liverpool Council. These are other people who have people have asked questions about, um, you know, there's, there are questions about whether uh, Liverpool Council as the, you know, as the licensing body for the city could have perhaps done more. Um, and there's a there's a quote um, or sort of video clip that's gone around of Joe Anderson saying at a public meeting the week before, you know, we will take these decisions if we have to he's insisted that what he meant was if, we, if we're given the power by government to, to make these decisions on a kind of council by council basis, then we will do. And he said that that never happened. And, and ultimately they kind of had to follow the advice coming out of the Cobra meeting, um, which, which I, I guess I do understand, you know, if the Cobra meeting of the government is saying these are the the rules of the land, then it's it is difficult to go against that really. So it's um, yeah. And, and, and as, and as for LFC, uh, you know, that they they've said that they will be ha- very happy to cooperate with with any investigation they they didn't really say much more than that um but it, again I, I feel like it's probably a difficult position for the club to be in um when when the government is saying you know go ahead and play the game mm-hmm. absolutely
0: well well i think that's a fairly fairly uh fulsome overview of everything covered so far yeah absolutely and and you know to anyone who's listening i'd, I'd, I'd yeah, wholeheartedly invited to go back and just catch up on on all Liam's coverage. Have a look; it's all there um, on the Echo website. And hopefully, yeah, you know, this this investigation will at the very very least answer some questions for fans who were were no doubt conflicted at the time of this game as to whether they should whether they should go as you said before, and certainly some who might have felt that they uh, showed symptoms since and things like that. So yeah, Liam, thank you very much for making your debut with us today. It's, it's,
1: it's been a delight. Really good to just
0: get the deal over the line, you know, sign on the dotted line. I know <laughs> we've, been, we've been
1: thrashing around negotiations for a little while, haven't we? Um, I might need to have a word with you about the old signing on bonus because I'm not too happy about it. But...
0: <laughs> we'll sort that of, out. I'll,
1: I'll ask Joe Rimmer about that one. See if he uh, I, knew, I, knew, I knew Joe Rimmer would have been involved. Skimming off the top as usual, that's it.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, thanks again, Thorpey, for your, for your thoughts and, uh, and insights on what Obviously a very difficult topic and um, I'm sure Liam will continue to ask questions as the Echo continues to cover this crisis and, as I said before, read all of his work online and in the paper. Uh, So thanks to everyone for listening. Stay safe and we'll be back again soon. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.